The Bible doesn't simply refer to love as a singular concept. In the New Testament, God communicates three unique ideas that need to inform the love we have for God and others. The first two loves are natural and reciprocal, but the third love is God's love in us. Having God's love in us doesn't just mean that we're the recipients of His love. It means we're also to pour that love into the lives around us. But who are we to love and how are we to love them? Thankfully, the scriptures tell us everything we need to know, and that is definitely worth celebrating. The one true God of the universe has existed since eternity past in ultimate perfection. He spoke the cosmos into existence for his soul, honor, and glory. He moved heaven and earth to redeem mankind, even though we have nothing to offer him. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise. I'm your host, A.M. Brucer, and this is the Celebration of God. Welcome to the year-long Celebration of God. This is a unique and dynamic discipleship experience that helps you know, understand, and love God better as you help the other believers in your life to do the exact same thing. Our goal is that all of God's people would give Him the worship that He deserves every moment of every day. We know that won't be perfectly accomplished until we see him face-to-face in glory, but that's not going to stop us from growing. Now, if you're new to the show, we welcome you. And if you'd like to understand what we're doing here, I recommend three things. Number one, go to celebrationofgod.com to see all of the resources we have available for you there. Number two, listen to our introductory episodes. They explain in great detail how this discipleship resource works. And three, for this specific discussion concerning love and Valentine's Day, make sure you listen to episode 40 and 41 before listening to this one. And if you're not new to the show, we welcome you back. We hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review the show, share it with your friends, and help us reach our goal of discipling God's people all over the world to celebrate Him in their high days and low moments. And as always, holiday-specific resources, episode notes, and transcripts are all available to you at celebrationofgod.com. Last time we talked about storge love and phileo love. Both are nice, both are important, but there is a love that, when you know, compared to the other loves, is like the sun to a candle. It's powerful, pure, unconditional, and glorious. It's the veritable love of God himself in us. In the Bible, this love is referred to as agape. Last time we observed that versions of the word storge show up three times in scripture. Even phileo is only used just over 20 times. But agape and its other forms are used over 300 times in the New Testament. Now, we can't possibly look at all of those today, so we're going to survey them and draw general truths that will help us understand why agape is so fundamentally different from the others. And we're also going to try to be practical as we prepare to celebrate the season of gracious love. First, we must define our terms. And as you can imagine, there are many different ways to define agape. Nearly everyone has their own understanding. Some of those definitions come from the way the Greek word was commonly used, and most of them tie in with the biblical concepts. But as we look at the basic definition of the Greek word, we'll see that this love doesn't sound too special. Remember, the word was commonly used by the Greek-speaking culture. It wasn't made up to communicate a uniquely spiritual reality. But God did choose this word, this particular word, and he chose to explain how he wanted us to understand the word. So we'll look quickly at the basic technical definition, then we'll trace the origin of true love, we'll look at the recipients of true love, and then we'll check out the characteristics of true love so we can discuss a biblical definition of true love. All right, let's start with all the technical stuff. 
Here are five unique things about the Greek concept of agape. Number one, it's the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Two, it's not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, which means that this is the first love that allows us to love unlovable people. Number three, it's a choice. It is not a natural instinct. It isn't inadvertently pulled out of us by other people. It is a conscious decision. Number four, this love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and even unworthy. It is truly considered an unconditional love. And number five, however, it too may be used in a fleshly, selfish way. In John 3.19, Jesus tells us that, quote, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil, unquote. The word used here for love is the verb form of agape, agapeo. In 2 Timothy 4.10, we're told that Demas agapeoed this present world and deserted Paul. 2 Peter 2.15 tells of Balaam who agapeoed gain from wrongdoing. Obviously, you guys realize that agapeoed is not a word. I'm, I'm mixing it. Okay, forget, forget it. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, 1 John 2.15 warns us not to agapeo the world. And then not only can it be used in a selfish way, but even Christ honoring agape can fade away. In Matthew 24.12, Jesus tells us that agape can grow cold. In Revelation 2.4, we learn that the Ephesians abandoned their first agape. So we see that in the Greek, the basic word love can still be pretty flexible, but these are only a small handful of the many times the word is used, and the picture God paints for us of the true love he wishes us to experience so dwarfs the observations we just made that we just need to move on and revel in what love is supposed to be. So from now on, I'm going to not use the word agape or agapeo very often. I'm also going to try to avoid just the general use of the word love. From now on, when referring to this unique love, I'm simply going to call it true love or God's love. Now, I know that the phrase true love has been tainted as well. I mean, seriously, when someone says true love, I can't help but picture that scene from The Princess Bride where the priest utters, love, true love will follow you forever. But I think it's imperative that we define words the way God does. As we've already noted, the world has no cohesive, final, and absolute definition for anything. Nowadays, words mean what people want them to mean, which means that they mean nothing. But God's unchanging truth allows us to have a working and decisive definition. Okay, so now let's discuss the origin of true love. Simply put, God himself is the origin of true love because God himself is love. God didn't say he was eros or storge or phileo. He claimed that his very nature was true divine agape. And because of that and more, God can command us to love. Number one, God can command us to love because of the nature of love. True love is volitional. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not something into which we fall. The object of our love doesn't have to be lovable. He can command us to love because of the nature of true love. Number two, God can command us to love because he is love. Now, even though we haven't yet seen the extremely high biblical expectations of true love, I'm sure we can still appreciate the seeming Mount Everest of true love God's commanding us to climb. That's why it's also comfort to remember number three, God can command us to love because he's powerful. But we're also going to find that uh, not only is it a comfort that God will help us out if we struggle having true love, we actually just need him to have true love in the first place. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible for anyone in your family to truly love anyone else without God. It's impossible for your disciples to do the same. And number four, God can command us to love because we are forgiven, or at least we should be.
I can't go into any more detail on this point right now, so I'll direct you to the description of today's episode where you'll find a much more robust study of biblical love I did for Truth Love Parent. In that study, we discuss many of the same concepts, but I share much more scripture and spend far more time teaching and applying biblical love specifically to our families. So make sure you check that out. In the very first episode, I talk about how God can command us to love because we're forgiven, or at least we should be. Now let's discuss the recipients of true love. Number one, we are commanded to love God. In the Four Family Love series I just referenced, I share 12 biblical proofs to determine whether we have true love for God. That's a list that we should post on our celebration walls because we constantly need to be working on it. In fact, I'll make sure a copy of that is available with our other Valentine's Day resources so you can easily print it out and add it to your celebration walls. Number two, we're commanded to love our neighbor. Ephesians 5.25, 5.28, 5.33, and Colossians 3.19 command husbands in particular to love their wives. 1 Peter 2.17 tells us to love the brotherhood. 2 John 1.5 commands all Christians simply to love one another. We can't escape the fact that having storge or phileo for the people in your family is simply not enough. We are commanded by God to have true agape love for everyone in our lives. And that includes, number three, our enemies. That's right, we're commanded to love our enemy. There are many passages that describe this, but I'll let you listen to the other episodes to learn more about it. So now I want to look at the character of true love, and in so doing, come up with a very solid definition of true love. Let's consider eight truths about true love. Number one, true love flows from, is empowered by, and must return to God. Romans 5, 5b, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It comes from Him. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us. It only works when God's in charge of it. 1 Thessalonians 4.9b, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. We couldn't have learned it any other way. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love. Again, it comes right from him. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. It would have been impossible to love God had he not loved us first. So, we see that only God-worshippers can choose this highest form of love. Unlike storge and phileo, God's love in us is not accessible to unbelievers. That means, if you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, if you do not first choose to submit to Christ and follow Him, you will never be able to truly love anyone the way God does. I hope that's a really significant reality for you. Number two, true love must permeate all we do. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. That's pretty straightforward. Number three, true love is the proof of genuine faith in God. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, because true love comes from faith in God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and because it must permeate all we do, it needs to conform to God's will at all times. So, number four, true love is evidenced by obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 14, 21, the Messiah says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In John 14, 23 and 24, the Son of God commands, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. In John 15.10, the incarnate Christ tells us, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 10 proclaims, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. In 1 John 2, 5, the disciple who Jesus loved tells us that whoever keeps God's word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Later in 1 John 3.18, we learn, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And in 2 John 1.6, we're told very clearly, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Friends, we just can't escape it. If we're sinning, we're not loving. If we're disobeying, it's impossible to love. We do not love when we do not obey. And since the opposite of love is hate, then we must conclude, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, we hate the person we disobey. If we're disobeying God, we're hating Him and we're hating the other people in our lives. That includes human authorities, it includes God, it includes everyone. Love and hate, love and disobedience do not mix. But true love will strive to obey in all things. And beyond all that, number five, true love does the right thing even when it's hard. This is a more specific application of the last point. Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Like we saw last time, if we truly want to be loved, we need to accept the correction of God. And if we truly want to love, we should be willing to be used by God to correct our fellow disciples the way God commands. But if that weren't challenging enough, in addition to having to correct the ones we love, there is something even harder that true love constrains us to do. Number six, the greatest proof of true love is that a person would sacrifice his or her life for his or her friends. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are so much to say about this, but time is failing us, so we must move on. However, one observation we can make is that number seven, true love has the best interest of others as its highest priority. Romans 12.10 doesn't use the word agape, but the principle is clear in the second part of the verse. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 14.15 illustrates this for us more specifically when it says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. This is just one example, but it gives us a clear picture of the extremes to which we should be willing to go to prefer others above ourselves and outdo each other in honor. And because this is the true love of God, and because we're sinners, number eight, true love never stops growing. Philippians 1, 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So, with those observations, I want to share with you my definition of true love. True love wants and works toward God's best interest for the ones we love. Allow me to repeat myself. True love wants and works toward God's best interest for the ones we love. Now, there's so much more that could be said, but as we look forward to Valentine's Day and hopefully every day beyond, I want to finish up by focusing on how our agape true love and our fellow disciples agape true love is to be growing. With this final list, we will be done. Most of you are probably very familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. Again, please understand I go into far more detail on the Four Family Love series, so I recommend you spend some time listening to the final episode in order to appreciate these points to their fullest. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul shares nine truths about true love that should guide our growth, the first of which is a general truism concerning the nature of love. Love is necessary to make life work. Again, I don't plan to explain the other ones in any kind of detail, but it's important to understand this first one. 
Verse 1 tells us, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This verse teaches that communication doesn't work without true love. Verse 2 says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Here we learn that even religion doesn't work without true love. And verse 3 tells us, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is interesting because it actually tells us that the quote-unquote love languages don't work if I don't have true love. Excuse me, it teaches us that actions that appear to be the most loving things a person could do don't work without true love. So the big three, my communication, my faith, and my relationships will all fail if I do not have true love. If you don't learn anything else today, please learn this. Life doesn't work without true love. And how does that true love live? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It's humble, selfless, holy, strong, optimistic, and eternal. We could take the next few weeks studying the applications from any one of those characteristics. Again, please, I encourage you to listen to the Four Family Love series in order to bask in the glory that is biblical love, as well as mature in our love for God and others. Wouldn't it be sad if Valentine's Day came and went and we didn't love any better than we did last year? Please check out celebrationofgod.com for all of our Valentine's Day biblical resources and share this episode with those you love. And join us next time as we prepare to prepare for Easter. That's right, we'll be talking about that thing called Lent. If you want to know God better, celebrate Him more, and help the ones you love to do the same, subscribe to this podcast and visit celebrationofgod.com to learn more about this dynamic discipleship resource. And remember, the Celebration of God is a listener-supported ministry.